Well, good morning. It's so good to have you here today. You may be seated. And those of you online, thank you for making time to uh, get online with us. And let me speak to those online for just a moment. We're going to end our service with communion. And so I would urge you at this point to find something that you can eat as the bread that will represent the body of Christ and the drink that will represent the blood of Jesus. So we'll give you a heads up for that. It is so good to see you. Thanks for being here today. And I pray that God has already spoken to you. Uh, I'd like to show you uh, a picture of something that took place on our sabbatical. This particular picture that you are looking at is uh, halfway between Peak to Peak Highway, about 15 miles uh, south of Estes Park. So I'm just going to leave that there for a moment uh, because God uh, urged me in some ways. I hesitate to say he spoke to me. I didn't actually hear it, but it sounded like a voice of God. Uh, so I want to say this is what I felt God was urging me to say three things to New Cove. But before I jump into those three things, I want to leave the picture up there a little bit for you to think about, try to figure out what in the world is he going to say from that. Uh, but Brett, uh, our founding pastor, Brett Yon, uh, I'd like for you to talk for just a moment about what was going on. What were you thinking? <laughs> what are you thinking? What were you thinking as you uh, began to sense God calling you to start New Cove? Well, it was 1984. January came, and Mary and I had been here in Lincoln for 12 years uh, planted a student ministry at UNL, and I was feeling really restless in my heart in early 94, thinking there's something else God wants to do, and I kind of thought that it was to move us away from Lincoln to another ministry, and uh, I came across a verse, Isaiah 43, 18, and 19, that kind of got my attention and grabbed me. It says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And my answer would have been no, I don't. I will bring uh, life to the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And it was with that that I began that year to pray and say, Lord, what is the new thing that is springing up before me. Well, I had the opportunity to finish a seminary degree in Kansas City, so I left Lincoln at 5 a.m. on Tuesday mornings and drove to Kansas City and came home Friday nights at 7, did campus ministry on the weekends, and during that period of time of being alone in Kansas City, I call that my Philippian prison experience <laughs> in Kansas City, I... I pursued some leads that might have led us away from Lincoln, and they were all dead ends. And so as I contemplated this verse, I felt like that this thought came to my mind. It was a crazy thought for me. It was like the thought was, you need to start a new church in Lincoln. And I'm thinking, well, I don't start churches. I reach students. And uh, I began to also... Consider what we were involved in. We were a part of a church that was like an enclave, a ghetto, that had no engagement with people who are not yet believers. And that was my heart, to really be engaged with unbelievers. 
And so I kind of reached the point that I felt like God was saying, I want a new church in Lincoln, and I want you to start it. And it was a reluctant thing to me. Uh, But Mary and I, in January of 1985, uh, having gotten counsel from people around the country that knew us and loved us, we invited some folks to our basement that had a small core group, and we began meeting as a small church uh, Easter for a sunrise service of... uh, in 1985. As I was thinking about this this morning, Tim, and just thanking God for how he leads, what came to my mind was Psalm 23, verse 3. And it says, and I will lead you, guide you in paths of righteousness for my name's sake. Mm -hmm. And when I think about this part of my story of walking with God, he He led us to do that for his glory, for his namesake. And what started in our basement is right here, right now. And you don't know how much joy that brings me. Uh, Frankly, I wouldn't want to have a basement this big, okay? (laughs) But uh, praise God, he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So, Brett, uh, where was that passage that you... Isaiah 43, 18, 19. Okay. Thank you. Let Brett know you appreciate him. So Karen and I want to thank you for the opportunity you gave us this summer to take two months to just be off and to read and pray and just get rested. And uh, there are three things that I felt like God was saying to me that I want to share with you this morning. And this particular picture you're looking at I could not, I couldn't believe we were driving past. I said, Karen, pull over, pull over, pull over. And it was just as if I couldn't get my eyes off of this picture. And I believe that what God was saying to me without a doubt is that I'm not through with New Cove. I'm just getting started. And then a verse came to mind. And this was the verse that came to mind. Isaiah 43 19. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The Lord was speaking to those in exile. But uh, I need you to go back to that picture one more time. Try as hard as you can to look at the rock. It is impossible. It is impossible. The the rock is so much larger than that tree. But you cannot help but look at what God is doing in the midst of hardness. And I believe more than anything else that God is saying, I am not through with New Cov. I'm just getting started. Matthew 5.14 was the next passage that God brought to mind. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. That God is calling New Cove to be a city on a hill. That you look at the hardness around us, you look at a crazy culture around us and how it's so fast changing. But there's one thing that God wants to do is he wants to put New Cove as a city on a hilltop where you can look at all the stuff that's going on around us. 
but to, but to put a new covenant place where he puts believers like you and me in the midst of people who desperately need to know Jesus. I felt like God was saying, I'm not through with new cove. Secondly, I heard him say, I'm not through with you, meaning me. And I thank God. I, I did not plan on leaving on a sabbatical thinking about I'm an old geezer and New Cov needs fresh new leadership. You probably do, but not yet. <laughs> um, but I, I did. I was open to say, God, I want, I want if, if New Cov needs new leadership, I need the church is bigger than one person. I need to step away. And with some health issues, you know, that all of us deal with, I'm trying to figure out how does that fit in. And again, the, the goal of what I heard God saying is, I'm not through with you. And which leads into saying, he's not through with you. He is not through with you. Individually, hear this. Philippians 1.6, I'm certain that God who began the good work in you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. To quote Dr. Yon, if you're not dead, you're not done. I'm committed more than ever to be a part of a church who's going to turn the world upside down. The next verse that God revealed to me was Acts 17, 6, and when they could not find them, meaning uh, Paul and Silas, when they couldn't find them, they dragged Jason out, some other believers before the city authorities, shouting, these people have turned the world upside down. And at this time, they had no rights. They had no voting rights. They had nobody to stand for them, no liberties, and yet they turned the world upside down. And why did they turn the world upside down? Because they knew that every person they come in contact with desperately needs to hear Jesus and needs to open their lives to Jesus because they're doomed to an eternity spent in hell separated from God if they don't know Jesus. But they have the hope of eternal life where they can spend eternity in heaven with Jesus who said, I will wipe away every tear from their eyes and I will be with you. What an amazing promise. I read very much uh, from a guy named Dr. James Emery White. I read one of his blogs, and he talked this last week about reminding us about Jim Collins, one of the best business thinkers. And uh, Jim Collins says, if you want to know the why of something, ask five sequential why questions. So let's play the, the game with, this, uh, with us just for a moment. Number one, why New Cub Church? Why New Cub Church? Because New Cub is engaged with the cause of Christ. Why is New Cub engaged with the cause of Christ? Number two, because the world desperately needs Jesus. Why does the world need Jesus? Because people are not experiencing life the way it was meant to be lived. They're trying to make life work apart from God. Why are they trying to make life work apart from God? Because they've not entered into a relationship with God through the cross work of Jesus. And why are they not entering into the cross work of Jesus? Because they haven't been told or they don't know how or they may not care. So we have this huge calling of God to say, we have a call much larger, and it's to point people to Jesus and to create environments where people can experience genuine faith, where you can experience authentic relationships, where you're seen and you're known and you're pursued. 
and to be a part of a life changing where we get to turn the world upside down, which means we get to have meaningful impact on our community. Jesus saved us to engage with our culture. He saved us to engage with people who don't look like us, people who don't act like us, people who don't think like us, people who don't believe like us, and wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, people who don't vote like you and me. Shock of all shocks. God has called us, He saved us to engage our culture, to be a light on the hill. He didn't save us to hide from the world, to avoid the world, to ignore the world, to fear the world, to hate the world, to condemn the world, to judge the world. He called us to engage with the world, to point people to Jesus so that when people who are hard like a rock, you're probably sitting next to one right now, but people who cannot, don't seem to be moved when they encounter you and me, that they begin to want to ask why. Why are you different? Why are you different than those around us? God is not through with New Cub. He's not through with you. He's not through with me. And if we're to be a city on a hill, the last thing that I want to share with you is we must prepare more urgently than ever before for the difficulty and the suffering that comes from being a city on a hill. Hear me carefully. Our cause to point people to Jesus. Our cause to be a city on the hill is what unifies us, not our political positions. We cannot get caught up in the divisiveness of our present environment. We have to fight for unity. And if Satan wants to divide, he doesn't attack from the outside. If he attacks from the outside, we are unified. But he comes from within the church. And I just think more than, more than ever before, I was hoping that the last year and a half that there is an exclamation point and the end. And now all things are new. But it seems that things keep dragging on around us. And New Cub, we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful that we don't divide from within one another. And how do we, what, call, what, what unifies us is not our different beliefs on things, but what unifies us is the fact that we are a part of the body of Christ who says we're going to point people to Jesus. That is our primary cause. Important but secondary things are not what cause us to be together. It's primary, focusing on Jesus. Unity is not uniformity. There are differences in this room. There are differences with the people you're sitting next to. When Christians fight among themselves, they're neglecting and often overlook biblical truth that says that we're to model and that, that people see us, they will know we are Christians by our voting record. Important, yes, it's important that you do your homework. But what unifies us, what shows the world that we are followers of Jesus, is our love for one another and our love to engage along with people who don't think like us, act like us, whatever. John 17, and I'll let you turn to John 17. We'll look at just a couple verses. But, but your homework this week, I want you to read through John 17 this entire week. Every day, I want you to read through John 17. 
This is one of the, it is the, one of the last prayers that Jesus prayed before he was uh, crucified. So you would think that this would be very important. He's not going to be talking about what's for lunch. And in John 17, he said, verse 20, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. In other words, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but I'm praying for those who call New Covenant their home. He is, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he was praying for you for this very moment. Praying for you. And I pray, here it is, here's a prayer for you and for me, that they will be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. May they be in us so that the world may believe priority is point people to Jesus to be a city on the hill. That you are to be a city on a hill wherever God has you at this particular moment. Verse 23, I am in them, you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. We belong to the Lord. We belong to each other. This is talking about that we would pray. In fact, uh, Francis Chan says this. Jesus is not just asking that we simply get along. That's much more important than John 17. I'm not just saying that. He's not just saying that we need to feel some form, some kind of love toward each other. He's praying for a union that resembles what he has with the Father. As you read John 17, you will be moved to pray differently for you and for our church. He wants us to, to focus on the Father. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters. You're, let me state the, the obvious, and please forgive me. I know you're smart, but I don't want you to miss this. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters. When you become a part of God's family, you're a child of God, and others who join you in that commitment are your brother and your sister. So he says, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's not any higher authority, live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. So, let me close with a couple of things here. One, am I concerned? I feel like I've, I've said, I feel like New Cove is healthier than she's ever been before. Healthier than she's ever been before. And more vulnerable than she's ever been before. I, I don't hear a lot of divisiveness. I really don't. But if Satan wants to derail us, he's going to come from within and we've got to recognize that we are brothers and sisters in Christ first. That means we treat one another with dignity and with respect. I'm going to tell you something I've never told you before. It pains me to do so. I want to tell you about my brother. 
my brother. He's a Green Bay Packer fan. But I still love him. In fact, we talked this week. I don't understand him. But he's family. So I treat him with respect because I love him. I also have some family members who don't vote the way I vote and who don't see society the way I see it. But I don't yell at them, I don't pull up a drawbridge. I want them to know Jesus. Jesus, first of all. And then let Jesus deal with their Green Bay Packer issues. <laughs> the purpose of unity is to point people to Jesus. The battle is not against each other. The battle is against the evil one. So I would like to challenge all of us. Wrong word. I want to invite you to be unified. I want to invite you to be unified with us because I, along with the staff and the leaders of New Cove, we're committed to giving the best we have to equip our church to be laser-focused and unified in this next season, whatever may come. We're going to figure it out together. We will clean up what we mess up. The vision is clear. The mandate is clear from God. We're going to be a light. We're going to be a city on a hill. So when people are around you at work and at school and in your neighborhood, they're going to know what is different about you. And we'll tell them it's because we belong to the family of God. Jesus Christ loves us and accepts us. I want to solidify our commitment to unity by asking us to, to receive communion together. Good luck getting the top off. <laughs> Ephesians 2.14 says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. Listen to this. He united Jews and Gentiles. There couldn't be anything more broad than that he united Jews and Gentiles into one people when his, in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us as you eat the bread may you be reminded that it's the body of Christ that unifies us nothing else the body of Jesus He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body and on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility. It's the blood of Jesus that forgives us. So as you drink of the juice, be reminded that without the shedding of blood there can be no forgiveness of sins. We all need Jesus, the blood of Jesus.
Father, we commit New Cove into your keeping. Father, fight for us. Father, remind us that we are about one thing, and that's to be a city on a hill, and that we share Jesus with those around us. Father, I pray that you would give us hope. I pray that you would help our church if we move to the left or the right, move in directions that are not uh, the way you want, that we would quickly make those changes because we do not want there to be confusion of why we exist, our purpose to point people to you where there's glory given to you. And so, Father, we commit New Cove into this new season. Father, we want more than anything else for it to be a church that is exactly what you call a church, a city on a hill that points people to Christ. And I pray it's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said...